Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Griffin Strom. One month into the football season. Can you believe we're already one month in? The weeks are flying by, Dan, and it's been a lot of Buckeye victories so far, and the latest being the first Big Ten match of the season against Wisconsin. Yeah, it is. It is starting to feel a little cool outside. It is starting to feel like fall. So you can you can sense that October is is coming. But uh, as you mentioned, Ohio State off to a strong start one month into the season, four and zero, taking care of business so far, and certainly doing so this past Saturday. Uh, Once again, exceeding our expectations, at, at least in terms of offensive performance as Ohio State beat Wisconsin 52 to 21. And really, I mean, this game was over early in the second quarter. Ohio State scored on its first four possessions, took a 28 nothing lead less than 17 minutes in, and then was really kind of able uh, to coast from there. But uh, a truly dominant performance for the Buckeyes uh, against a team that, you know, I think we both thought that Wisconsin was going to play them tough and give them some resistance, but that just didn't happen. Yeah, Dan, and you could tell right off the bat, right, because Ohio State gets the ball coming out, six plays, 88 yards, a two-minute and 41-second drive, uh, ca- punctuated by a Mayan Williams touchdown, one of two on the day for him. And it was like, man, that w- it wasn't supposed to be that easy against this Wisconsin defense that had you know a lot of good rankings and, and numbers and everything, and historically, obviously, as well. I think last year they had like the number one total defense in the country by the end of the season, too. And um, then you know Wisconsin gets the ball, Throws an interception, and Ohio State scores two plays after that. And then it was like, you know, you saw it last year with this Ohio State team too, where if, if this team gets rolling early, it is hard to keep up with that Ohio State offense. And that's exactly what we saw against Wisconsin. Yeah, D- Ryan Day has talked a lot the last couple of weeks about wanting to get out to a fast start. And you can see why, because when they have gotten out to a fast start, it, it is. It's like they pull away and then they they, they put the game away like, like before – uh, you even you even realize it. So, you know, a fantastic start uh, once again for Ohio State, allowing them to really cruise to a victory over Wisconsin. Another dominant performance for the offense, putting up 539 yards, uh, showing great balance with 281 passing yards, 258 rushing yards. I mean, it really wasn't even C.J. Stroud's best day. I, I think after the – I think he was great in the first quarter, and I think after that he was not particularly sharp. Uh, still finishes with 281 yards and five touchdowns, though. Uh, fantastic day running the ball, as you mentioned. Uh, Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams both topping 100 yards for the first time this year against, again, a Wisconsin defense that came in, ranked in the top 10 in the country, a team that typically does a great job stopping the run, and, and they didn't really have any answer uh, for Ohio State uh, in either pass or run defense in this game. Uh, so, you know, Personally, I I was surprised by how easy it looked for Ohio State's offense, but I think it's a very legitimizing performance for Ohio State's offense because I think even after last week, as phenomenal as they looked against Toledo, you know, I saw some comments from people that were like, okay, but let's see it against a good defense because we've seen them, you know, look so explosive uh, against a team like Toledo before, but then they play a better team and they aren't able to sustain it. So I think to be able to look just as good against Wisconsin as they did against Toledo. I think that really legitimizes that. Yeah, this is the best offense in the country and Ohio state's really got something rolling right now. And even without Jackson Smith and Jigba again, you know, here as he deals with that, that hamstring issue um, that he suffered in the season opener against Notre Dame, because we had heard some rumblings, you know, the, the day before the game, that Jackson Smith and Jigba might've 
you know, re-aggravated that hamstring. Um, the, Ohio State releases its status report, and Jackson Smith and Jigba is a no-go for the Wisconsin game, which, you know, less concerning in some of those non-conference matchups, of course, for Ohio State, but against a team like Wisconsin, that figured to be a bigger deal for the Buckeyes and C.J. Stroud in particular in the passing game. But once again, again, Dan, it turned out to really be a non-factor because, you know, guys like Cade Stover keep making big plays. Emeka Abuka with another two-touchdown, 100-yard performance. Uh, Marvin Harrison, not his biggest day, but still a factor. And now Julian Fleming coming on strong as well. And then, you know, even in the run game, as you mentioned, Ohio State now back-to-back 250-yard rushing games, which, Dan, they didn't do that at all last season. And, and, you know, that's a staple for, you know, Urban Meyer, Ryan Day, talking about those uh, 250 and 250-yard, you know, days in terms of passing and rushing yardage. Didn't happen too much for Urban in the NFL, though. Yeah, definitely not. Definitely not. Uh, But but that is, you know, the expectation that uh, Ryan Day and company talk about a lot. And we're starting to see that actually materialize here for the Buckeye offense. And Dan, I know there's there's a beat that that you've been playing uh, more and more here in terms of Ohio State's running back situation. Obviously, Mayan Williams has been very impressive to start the year. Travion Henderson, you know, didn't get to play all that much last last weekend uh, prior to the Wisconsin game, uh, suffering that injury on the first drive. And Mayan's gotten some some time to shine. But Dan, I know you might think that that Mayan's uh, giving Travion some some competition for the title of top running back on on the entire roster. I really think he is. I mean, I've I've really been impressed by what we've seen from Mayan Williams this year. I mean, he just you know, and we've heard Ryan Day say it over and over again. He had one of the best uh, preseasons of any player, and you know, he's really taken his game to a new level. And I I, I really do. I mean, I I think so far this season, I think Mayan Williams has been Ohio State's best running back. Now. I don't mean that as any slight toward Travion. I think Travion is a fantastic player. I think he's uh, very explosive, and I think he's played very well so far this season. But I, I just think Mayan has been fantastic. I mean, I think you know it's a, a smaller sample size than maybe some of the other top running backs around the country just because he is splitting those carries with Travion. But I, I think Mayan has played at a, a tremendous level. I, I, th- I think their running offense has been at their best when Mayan has been on the field. And again, I don't mean that as any slight toward Travion. I, I mean it as a credit to Mayan, but I think, you know, he's he's kind of been viewed as the complimentary back to Travion because of the breakout season that Travion had last year. And, you know, again, I mean, it's a long season and we'll kind of see how things go over the course of a year. But right now, like, if, if you just, if I had to pick, like, who's Ohio State's best running back? Like, who's that guy? If, if it's... If it's a if a game's on the line and I need a running back to go in there and, and finish off the game, right now I would go with Mayan Williams. Yeah, Dan, I'll say this on that point. You know, I, I would take Travion Henderson out of the two in terms of a guy that's gonna hit, you know, a 50 plus yard home run to break away from, you know, the secondary on a big play like that. But Mayan Williams is the guy probably out of the two that I'm gonna take to to shed a couple would-be tacklers on like an eight to nine to, to 15 yard run. Cause he really has some wiggle in, in some tight spots. Obviously, he's so you know compact, uh, you know, not, not not very tall, obviously a diminutively built uh, Mayan Williams is, um, hence the name, you know, meatball, pork chop, things of that nature. And he's a hard guy to get on the ground. Um, Bucks Boss 81 asked us, Dan, as dominant as Mayan Williams was in the first half on Saturday, why did he not get a single carry in the second half? Was it because the coaches believe he's a singular running back on our roster that we absolutely can't afford to lose and they didn't want to risk injury? Or was it more that the coaches wanted to see what Henderson could do uh, with a heavier load? And I, I pointed that out during the game also, Dan, that, that Mayan Williams has never had more than, I think, what was it, 14 carries in a game for Ohio State. 
and he had a lot early on. And I was saying, you know, it'd be interesting to see what kind of game Mayan Williams could have if he was given a little bit more of a, a leash there. You know, if he had a 20 carry game, could he could he have break out for a 200 yard performance or something like that? And we still didn't see it, even though he got off to such a hot start there. I think, too, uh, you know, Ryan Day was talking about how much energy Travion Henderson had before the game. And I think they, they wanted to give him a chance to kind of use some of that against the Big Ten team, kind of get him going as the Big Ten season rolls along here, especially given the fact that he had that setback uh, the last time out before the Wisconsin game. Yeah, I think it had a lot to do with the fact that Travion only played one series against Toledo and then Mayan got more work in that game. And so I think that was probably the biggest reason why they took Mayan out earlier was just they were Travion's healthy. Let's give Travion a heavier workload this week. And, you know, we'll, we'll get, you know, Mayan, I, I don't know if they timed it up that way, but it seemed to work out nicely that he got his 100 yards and all right, now you're done for the day. And then Travion went out there and he got his 100 yards. And so I, I don't know if they were really trying to do that. I don't know how much they really care about that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, I think it, I think it worked out. Ultimately, I mean, if you look at their workload for the season, Travion Henderson has 50 carries, Mayan has 43. So it's been pretty close to even so far this year. Travion with just 10 more rushing yards on those seven additional carries over Mayan. And I think I, I think they are making a concerted effort to, to try to keep it as close to equal as possible with those guys. Again, I think some of that was probably balancing out from a Toledo game. It'll be interesting to see this week how, how, how they manage it. I mean, I'm even interested to see if they give Mayan a start in one of these games because we've seen them consistently go with Travion as the starter. And I don't think that really matters because, you know, I, I think, you know, if, if they like Travion out there uh, on the first series and, you know, you're getting Mayan out there. I mean, we've seen games where Travion starts and Mayan ends up getting more carries. So I don't think it really matters necessarily who the starter is, but I, I think they are making a concerted effort to, to try to keep the, the workload balanced with those guys. Cause I mean, we saw it last year. I mean, Travion got, got banged up and later in the season and maybe wasn't as effective later in the season as he was earlier in the year. I think for both of those guys, they, they want to keep both of them as fresh as possible for the stretch run of a season where you may need to lean on them a little heavier than you have so far. And then you have to credit also Justin Fry and the work he's done with the Ohio State offensive line, obviously coming in as a first-year position coach there, replacing uh, Coach uh, Greg, Greg Studrawa. Um, obviously, there was the whole you know narrative last year with, with moving the, the tackles into guard to get certain guys onto the field. This year, you've got two more natural guards playing there on the interior and you know playing a tough, run-heavy style when Ohio State needed to was such a point of emphasis for the Buckeyes. Right now, I think they are ranked... Let me see, 19th in um, average rushing yards per game through the first four games. Um, you have to credit also, you know, Cade Stover, the tight ends, Mitch Rossi coming in there. Um, a guy like Julian Fleming, also at the wide receiver position, who's getting a lot of shine for his ability to, to block as well and his physicality. Um, all those guys kind of work, working in unison there um, to contribute to a run game that certainly looks like it's been making strides and is hitting its stride in general here at the perfect time for the Buckeyes. Yeah, we don't talk a ton about the offensive line on here, but I think we do need to give them some love because I think uh, I think the run blocking especially, I mean, I think the pass blocking has been uh, steadily consistent. I think it was good last year. I think it's probably been a little better this year, but I, the run blocking is something to me that I've really noticed, especially in the last couple of games is, the holes. I mean, they're just, they're just, the holes are bigger. Um, and I think, I think it really is a group effort. I think, I, I think Justin Fry probably has a lot to do with that. I mean, we don't, we don't know 
we're not in the meetings that the offensive staff has, so it's hard to know exactly, okay, how much of this is Justin Fry's influence? How much of this is Kevin Wilson? How much of this is Ryan Day in terms of some of the schematic stuff they're doing? But I do believe that Fry has probably made a significant impact on that. Uh, you know, I, I do think the fact that you have actual guards playing guard is making a difference. I think Donovan Jackson and Matt Jones have both been excellent, uh, especially in the run game. But I, I mean, I think the whole line has done really well. I think Luke Whipler has done a great job at center. I mean, you mentioned it last week. Dewan Jones has been mauling people. So I think the whole offensive line has performed well so far this season. It seems like that five is just a, a little stronger and just has a little bit more going than that five ever did last year. And then, you know, I mean, Kevin Wilson would be upset if we did not acknowledge how well the tight ends have been blocking too. And, and, I mean, you start with a tight end. I mean, I mean, Kate Stover. I mean, we're we're going to talk about Farmer Gronk a little bit more here because I mean, farm. I mean, Farmer Gronk is a stud. Like, <laughs> I mean, let's like we don't need to qualify it anymore. Like, Kate Stover is one of Ohio State's best players right now. Like, he 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 really is. Like, as a receiver, as a blocker, he is doing a lot for this team at that tight end position, and and he has really become a weapon at that tight end position that we haven't seen in a long time for Ohio State as a receiver, but he's also been excellent as a blocker if you really watch him. And that's really, I think, where we expected him to excel coming into the year. And and he's done great in that regard. You know, Mitch Rossi, when he plays, he does well in that regard. Even even G. Scott ha- has done pretty well uh, when he's been out there as a blocker. And I think even extending out beyond that, too, I think the wide receivers got got to get some credit in this too. I think if you watch them on the perimeter, uh, you know Ryan Day has specifically made the point a couple times already this week about Julian Fleming and how uh, good of a run blocker he is. If you watch him, uh, Mecca Buka is another guy I notice when you watch that he does a great job out there in the uh, in perimeter run blocking. And so I think uh, it's very much a team effort in terms of that blocking, and I think they're doing an excellent job of that. And so. You know, I think I think you can absolutely say, you know, Mayan Williams, Travion Henderson, or whatever order you want to go with it is that they they could be the best one-two punch in the country at running back. But also, I think both of them would say that they owe a lot of their success to how good the blocking has been in front of them. Dan, let's be honest here. Are there two words hotter in all of college football right now than Farmer followed by Gronk? Because honestly, you know, Kate. <laughs> okay, it's either that. It's either that or Rock Chalk. Yeah, that is true. That's the competition there. But yeah, I mean, Cade Stover, an absolute football player. You know, that's what you you have to describe him as because you know he he really he grew up idolizing James Laurinaitis. He's talked about that a couple times this season already. Obviously, the former All American Ohio State linebacker. His his heart is on defense, but his ceiling is at tight end. That's what Ryan Day said to kind of describe Cade Stover's career trajectory here. And listen, there was a lot of talk about before the season of, you know, who's going to be Ohio State's second leading receiver this season because there's all these talented wideouts, you know, obviously second behind Jackson Smith and Jigba. And as you've seen now with, with him being out, those other guys have stepped up. But even still, Cade Stover is the third leading receiver on Ohio State's team right now with 12 catches, 188 yards, and two touchdowns so far this season. Both of those touchdowns obviously coming against Wisconsin. He could have had another one against Toledo had Stroud uh, hit him there. And, you know, he, he had some other red zone targets, too, uh, against Wisconsin. But, you know, he, he took a couple really big hits in that game. Uh, Kate Stover was, you know, even on that one touchdown, he, he had to do a, a flip into the end zone there. I mean, uh, Farmer Gronk has been all over the field, um, like you said, doing it in blocking, catching passes. And, you know, talk about a guy that, you know, didn't 
grow up, you know, catching passes and stuff on a football field per se. Uh, he's a sure-handed guy at tight end, and he's a big, strong, physical athlete, uh, versatile. And, and nobody thought that he was going to be this this huge receiving threat. And it'll, I think, it'll continue to amaze us if that continues to be the narrative this season for him. Because, you know, frankly, just none of us saw it coming. We thought tight end was going to be this position where Ohio State was going to have some question marks, and that has absolutely not been the case so far this season. Yeah, I mean, if you just look at his stats, I mean, compared to Jeremy Ruckert last year, which again, I mean, I think a lot of people thought. Jeremy Ruckert was a better receiver than than Cade Stover, at least before this season started. But you I mean you look at the stats, I mean, Cade Stover already has more than half as many receiving yards as Ruckert did in 13 games last year, and is just one off of being halfway to Ruckert's catch total last year. So, I mean, if he continues on this pace, we're gonna be talking about the most productive. Uh, season as a receiver for a tight end in a long time. And I, I, I think quite honestly, I think probably some of our listeners out there, at least those who have been asking us for years, why doesn't Ohio State start throwing to the tight end more? I think they probably feel a little vindicated because I think we're seeing how much of a weapon the tight end can be. You know, Ryan Dace talked a lot about some of those run-pass conflicts that Kate Stover created. Like, I thought... Uh, I believe it was a second tight second touchdown that he scored. You know, that was a really nice play design that they drew up where basically they had no wide receivers out there. They had, I think, Josh Fryer and three tight ends in there. Everybody thinks they're going to run. And then Stroud ends up roll, rolling out to the right. Stover runs a delayed release off the line and he's wide open in the end zone and they hit him for a touchdown. The, the way they're starting to utilize these tight ends and some of these different packages, it's making this offense more multiple and just makes it that much harder for, for defenses to defend. And so I think, you know, it was easy to say like the last couple of years, it's like, yeah, they're not thrown of a tight end, but they really don't need to because they got Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson and Jackson Smith and Jigba. But I think now the, the fact that they're getting more creative and they're finding ways to turn a guy like Cade Stover into a real weapon for this offense, I think it's just making the offense that much more dangerous. And I think when you really get into that heart of a season later down the line, to have all these different things you can do in your back pocket and to have all these different things that defenses are now going to have to prepare for more than they have in the past, I, I think that's a great thing for Ohio State. Yeah, Dan, and obviously Ohio State being the number one, you know, total offense in the country last season. And it's like, you know, teams teams are going to be game planning for what Ohio State does, and especially considering what, what Ryan Day has done year in and year out. And, and he said, like, they went back and studied the, the tape on offense for the Buckeyes and kind of saw that the tight end was there to be used. I think that's what a lot of fans, you know, have seen in the first place, which is why, you know, there has been this running joke about, like, you know, what, why don't you throw to the, to the tight ends, et cetera. I think Jeremy Ruckert probably wishes that, you know, Ryan Day had come to that conclusion prior to, you know, his his last season at Ohio State rather than afterwards. And listen, I don't necessarily think like, oh, Cade Stover is, is you know, far more talented than Jeremy Ruckert as a pass catcher or anything like that just because of what he's doing. I just think that, you know, C.J. Stroud and Ryan Day are, are making a concerted effort, like you said, to find the tight end because it's something that they've identified in film study that it's an opening there. And, you know, it, it opens things up for all those other weapons for the Buckeyes and, and Silver Sniper asking us, here, we should acknowledge him that, um, you know, is it time to bury that joke that Ohio State doesn't throw to the tight ends? Dan, I'm going to say, despite Cade Stover's early success, I, I still need to see it for like a couple more games before I'm certain that we can put to, to rest 
the you know the joke that Ohio State doesn't throw the tight ends. Yeah, I'm kind of with you there. I mean, I think for this year, it certainly looks like they're going to keep using the tight ends more than they have in a long, long time. But uh, does that necessarily bury a narrative that's been out there for you know, eight years or whatever? Maybe not quite there yet. Yeah, and Dan, another person that was catching passes for the Buckeyes and has been doing so now for a couple games since making his season debut last time out is Julian Fleming, who caught four passes for 67 yards and a touchdown um, against Wisconsin. His second straight game were of, of putting some you know impressive plays on his highlight reel now. And, you know, it's not like he's had a huge 150-yard receiving game or something like that, but he's, he's certainly been a guy that C.J. Stroud has been looking for in the red zone. And we saw the, that physicality on display because he dragged a few defenders with him across the plane there against Wisconsin. And it's certainly good to see for him, given all the, the injury issues and the, you know, the, uh, the, the, the trouble he's had getting out of the gates to, to start a career that everyone thought was going to be just, you know, fantastic as the, the number one wideout in the country and a five-star prospect. And, uh, you know, he's certainly making contributions despite the fact that there's still so many other talented wide receivers and pass catchers on this Ohio State roster. Yeah, it feels like we're finally seeing what he can do, you know, and him. And I think, you know, that's been big too in terms of talking about, you know, not having Jackson Smith and Jigba, the fact that he is starting to really come on. I think that's been big because obviously in the Notre Dame game, Ohio State didn't have either Julian or Jackson once uh, Jackson went out of that game. And so I think for Julian to really be emerging, you know, alongside of Mecca and Marvin as somebody they can count on, as somebody who can make plays, you know, that's allowing them to still have, you know, three fantastic wide receivers out there, even, you know, while Jackson Smith and Jigba is working his way back from this injury. So I think, you know, that's been a big development for Ohio State. And I think just in general, I mean, you got to give this Ohio State offense credit for the way they've overcome not having a guy like Jackson Ziff and Jigba, who I think we all expected to be the best wide receiver in the country this year. And, you know, I know there's a lot of, you know, questions about him and, you know, Ryan Day said Tuesday that they're not going to put any timetable on Jackson Smith and Jigba's return, but uh, that Jackson still has a a mindset of day to day in in Day's words, and you know he's anxious to get back on the field, and so you know it's going to be interesting to see kind of how they handle that situation with Jackson Smith and Jigba going forward. I mean, I'm of the opinion that it was probably a mistake for him to play in that Toledo game, and you know, suffer the setback that he did, which, you know, now has kept him out for the Wisconsin game. And, uh, you know, I, if it was, you know, I mean, it's hard. I mean, we don't, we don't know all the details and obviously, you know, there's, you know, some of it is Jackson deciding when he's ready to play. Some of it is the medical staff deciding when he's ready to play. Yeah. I think to me, I, I would look at it and say probably the best move right now is probably, to err on the side of caution and not play him until after the bye week because I don't think you're going to need him against Rutgers this week. The way Michigan State has been playing, it doesn't seem likely that you're going to really need him uh, against Michigan State. And, you know, I I, I kind of had the fear all along with Jackson Smith and Jigba when we heard about this hamstring injury and we heard about him trying to come back in a week or two. I, I always kind of had the fear of, and is he going to come back and is he going to have a setback and re-aggravate that injury? 
And it, it seems like that's exactly what happened. And now I think you have to be careful not to continue that cycle, to not have him keep coming back too soon, getting hurt again, and then and then setting him back. You know, I think everybody's goal is to get Jackson back to the point where you know he can get back to being Jackson Fajigbo, where he can get back to being this elite receiver that we saw last season. And I think in order to do that, uh, I think Ohio State really needs to proceed with caution here uh, before bringing him back. Yeah, Dan, and that's a question that Minbuck asked us was, as bad as Michigan State looks, do you think the Buckeyes are going to shut down Jackson, Smith, and Jigba? And we'll talk about some other injuries here in a second for the Buckeyes through the bye week. And I think that's a that's something that, that, that you think would be a smart idea for Ohio State because, you know, the, the next few games on the docket for Ohio State, Rutgers, I mean, nothing needs to be said about Rutgers, although we will talk more in more detail about Rutgers here in a couple of minutes. Um, but then I think Iowa and Michigan State are the next couple of teams there in Iowa of course, has has one of the worst offenses in the country. I think maybe the the dead last total offense in the country right now. So that doesn't seem all that threatening. Then Michigan State, who's just, you know, got upset by Washington and then blown out at home by Minnesota here. So, you know, it, it certainly seems like the, a smart thing to do. But at the same time, it's like then as as people have theorized online and everything like that, at what point, if you're if you're shutting Jackson Smith and Jigba down for a, a significant portion of the season, does he start thinking? Is it wise for me to to come back at this point at all and risk re-injuring myself if I have you know potential first round NFL draft draft stock you know to kind of wager against that? So it'll certainly be something that we're keeping you know both eyes on here. But Dan, yeah, I, I think I, I, but before you move on though, I, I think we should address that because I've I've seen a lot of that of you know people starting to compare this to Nick Bosa, and I see people saying, let's face it, he's never going to play again in an Ohio State uniform, and I don't think that's fair to be making those assumptions. I mean, all indications have been that Jackson Smith and Jigbo wants to play and wants to play as soon as possible. I mean, I don't think he would have been out there against Toledo if he didn't really want to be out there playing as much as he can. And so I think, you know, the the, the jumping to assumptions because he suffered a setback of, oh, we're not going to see Jackson Smith and Jigba play again at Ohio State. I don't think that's fair to him, and I don't think it's accurate either. I mean, I I think that uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba absolutely does want to play again this season. I think, you know, I mean, I, I mean, I'm not going to rehash the whole Nick Bosa thing because that happened four years ago. But again, I mean, that was a situation where he suffered an injury that was going to effectively end his season anyway. And he decided that, you know what, it, it's not worth it for me to try to come back for, you know, maybe one game. Uh, I'm just going to go prepare for the NFL. I mean, there hasn't been any indication that the injury Jackson Smith and Jigba is dealing with is something that's going to threaten his entire season. And so I, I expect that we will see him play again this year and, and, you know, hopefully sooner than later. But, you know, I just think that they need to be cautious about not bringing him back too soon to where you then potentially run the risk of him getting injured again and then and maybe it does turn into something like that. And, and granted, there's always risk. I mean, there's not, it's football. It's not like there's ever going to be a point where he comes back and he's invincible from injury. I mean, anything, anything can happen. But I think with a hamstring, you do need to give it that time to heal. But, you know, certainly, you know, to have him available, even if it's only for the stretch run of a season, is something that Ohio State really wants. I think it's something that, he certainly really wants. I mean, I think he wants to, you know, 
he's probably not going to win the Bolitnikoff Award now. He's probably not going to be an All-American now because he's just not going to have as many games to put up the kind of numbers to win those kind of awards. But he, he wants to win a national championship, and this is a team that right now at least looks like it has a chance to do that. And so, uh, you know, I certainly think that, you know, everybody's intent is for Jackson Smith and Jigba to come back and, and play football for Ohio State this season and hopefully play a major role for Ohio State down the stretch of a season. But, I, you know, I do think I do think that everybody involved in that situation should be asking the question of, okay, do we need to play him this week? Do we need to play him next week? Should, do, do, you know, I, I think they, sh- you know, I think some of that's going to come down to Jackson himself, knowing his body and knowing when he's really ready to go. But, you know, I think it would be smart for everybody involved in that situation to, you know, really make sure that he's a hundred percent before you put him back out there, because we have seen that Ohio State's offense is doing fine without him. So it's not like they're desperate for him to come back and play in any state. The, it, at this point, the only way Jackson Jigba is actually going to help them is if he's himself. If he's, you know, if, if he's himself and he's playing at 100%, then there's no question he takes that offense to another level of how good he is. But if he's anything less than 100%, then the guys they have out there can do the job just as well as he can. And so, uh, you know, he, you know, he needs to get 100% before he gets back out there and plays. But I, I do, you know, expect that we will see Jackson Smith and Jigba uh, play plenty more football for Ohio State this year. Uh, it's just a matter of of when is he fully healthy enough to do that. Yeah, Dan, and there was a lot of people speculating, as you said, even even before you know the Wisconsin game, before anyone had gotten a real glimpse of Jackson Smith and Jigba, they were wondering, you know, is it a season-ending thing? And so I, I see him and take a little video of him walking into skull session. And the, basically, the point of me posting the, the 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 little video of him walking was to say, well, I mean, I don't know anything about his his situation per se from looking at him, but I do know that he's not, you know, this, this doesn't look like a guy that's for sure never not playing again this season based on, you know, how he, he looked walking. He wasn't on crutches. You know, I, I happened to unfortunately say he was, he wasn't wearing a boot, which then all the medical professionals in my DMs jumped all over me about and and dunked on me for, which was kind of stupid. But um, yeah, I I think we'll see Jackson Smith and Jigba again this season. um, You know, despite the fact that I don't have any, you know, serious inside information on that uh, fact there. But Dan, I, I think considering the fact that Ohio State's passing game has, has been so successful, even without JSN on the field, the more troubling injury news, perhaps, at least as it pertains specifically to the Wisconsin game, was the fact that you know Cameron Brown was going to be out for the Buckeyes at cornerback. And we had also heard rumblings, even though Denzel Burke wasn't actually on the status report for the Buckeyes, uh, that that he was might also miss the game, and and he came out Dan wearing um, a, a cast on his right hand, and then he ended up not suiting up out of the tunnel when Ohio State was doing its final uh, warmups. Obviously, Jordan Hancock, who came in as the you know projected number three corner for the Buckeyes this season, you know he still hasn't gotten on the field really uh, because of a preseason injury he's been dealing with. And Dan, obviously, multiple corners transferred out of the program over the offseason in, in uh, Legend Cavazos and, and Ryan Watts, so. You know, that left Ohio State very shorthanded at cornerback. And obviously then two first-time starters and really freshmen, a one second-year freshman, and then Jair Brown, a true freshman who had played like 38 snaps or something like that coming into the game, both had to step up and make their first-ever starts against, you know, a very tough Big Ten opponent in Wisconsin. Um, but, you know, J.K. JK Johnson and Jair Brown ended up 
really holding firm, Dan, overall, considering the fact that Graham Mertz, you know, while not the great, not a Heisman Trophy contending quarterback, uh, but but he, he still only ended up with 94 yards passing, 11 for 20 through the air, one touchdown and one interception, that interception coming on the first drive. And, and, and it, you know, Wisconsin was never really a big threat through the air, despite the, those facts. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the defensive line had a lot to do with the fact that Graham Mertz had such a bad day because I think, yeah, they were they were harassing Mertz the whole game. Wisconsin was about both of its regular starting offensive tackles and Ohio State was getting constant pressure on, on Graham Mertz. So I think that had a lot to do with it. But you also got to give credit to J.K. and Jair for stepping in there in a situation where, you know, I mean, J.K. had played a good amount for the previous couple weeks, but he's still a redshirt freshman who – barely played a year ago and had never started a game. And then Jair, who had basically only played late game snaps in a couple games until Saturday, and then he's starting against Wisconsin. For both those guys to go in there and play as well as they did, um, you know, I think I thought Jair in particular, I thought played really well, especially for a guy who was really playing the first significant snaps of his career. And so you got to give those guys a lot of credit for stepping up to the plate. Um, you know, and I, I you know, I, I continue as I as I look forward at cornerback, you know, it's gonna be interesting because I think I mean to me, I think if you're if you're looking at a position that's a concern for Ohio State right now, I said it before, it, it's definitely cornerback right now because of the injuries you're dealing with there. Uh, you know, the fact that you know, even those starters, even when they were out there, uh they they, they had some inconsistent play. And I, I think a lot of that goes back to the the point of, of injuries because you know, you, you get you know it's been insinuated that both Denzel Burke and Cam Brown missed time in camp with injuries. You know, Jordan Hancock, obviously he's been out since early in camp and it, the way Ryan Day start to talk about it is making me wonder how much we're really going to see Jordan Hancock play at all this year, because there seemed to be some optimism coming there a couple of weeks ago. And now it seems like that optimism has kind of waned. So, you know, we'll see what happens with Jordan Hancock and if he's able to come back uh, at some point this year and, and, you know, be a part of that cornerback rotation. But, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of question marks at that position right now, starting, of course, with health and, you know, when are Denzel Burke and Cam Brown, you know, going to be back on the field. And again, you know, that could be a similar calculus to to Jackson here this week. You're playing against a Rutgers team, which uh, has quarterback issues, has not passed the ball well at all. Do you maybe rest those guys for another week, even if they can play? Just, just because there's no reason to risk those guys against Rutgers, I think that's a calculus that's certainly worth considering if you're Ohio State. I just don't know. I mean, I've said it before, so I don't want to be a broken record about it, but I just don't know when this pass defense is really going to get tested. Like, I still look at Michigan State being the probably the toughest test they're going to face as a pass defense in the first half of the season, but Michigan State's been pretty awful the last couple of weeks. They scored seven points last week against Minnesota, so uh, they're not looking like a huge threat. I mean, and you mentioned Iowa. I mean, Iowa's certainly not a threat uh, passing-wise. You know, Penn State, they've got good receivers, but if Sean Clifford's still the starting quarterback, I mean, he he just doesn't scare me. Um, and then you've got, you know, Indiana, who is not going to scare anybody as a passing offense, and Northwestern certainly doesn't scare me as a passing offense. So I feel like, you know, we could be in mid-November and I might still be saying, I'm still not sure exactly what I think about this pass defense because I just, I just, I don't feel like they've really been tested yet. 
And I still feel like it's going to be a while before they really get tested. And so, uh, you know, I just feel like that's that's going to probably kind of be my lingering question with this team, you know, as we get toward the end of the year and the, the, the postseason and you think about hypotheticals of college football playoff games or whatnot, you know, I, the offense looks great. Like, I'm very confident that Ohio State probably has the best offense in the country again and if the offense is great. I mean, I've seen some people have qualms about the run defense. I don't really see where that's coming from. I mean, you you know, you can't worry about the 75-yard run by Braylon Allen in the fourth quarter after they had taken basically all the starters out of a game in the back seven. If you discount that, Ohio State's been pretty dominant against the run in this first month of a season. And so I feel very confident in the run defense as well. It's that pass defense to me where, you know, I just think, okay, when you get, you know, if you're playing Alabama in a college football playoff, will will that pass defense uh, be ready for that challenge? I, to me, I think that's kind of a biggest question I have right now about this team when I think, long-term with obviously the more short-term concern just being the health of that position. Yeah, Dan, I mean, the, the longer they go without getting tested in that regard, like the, the higher the chances you'd think of potentially getting exposed at some point later on in the season. But on the flip side of that, it's like it might provide an opportunity for some of these young guys, guys with less experience to kind of, you know, gain some confidence in there and get some reps. And, you know, it, it, as long as Ohio State stacks up wins, I mean, they're going to be in, in those big games um, that they want to be in eventually, um, unless they get exposed before that point. But, you know, another player in the Buckeye secondary that, that hasn't had a lot of experience, at least in Columbus, playing, you know, defensive back for Ohio State, Tanner McAllister, uh, had hit really his first big moment as a Buckeye uh, this past weekend against Wisconsin. I mean, he's one of those guys in the secondary that you know, felt like he had to step up because of the other absent starters um, among the Buckeye defensive backs. And he ends up having that, as we as we already mentioned, that interception on the first Wisconsin drive, returns at 30 yards. Uh, you know, he said he, he thought he was going to score a touchdown on that play. He looked like he might for a second. There are a couple of nice cutbacks by him. But in the end, he just brings Ohio State, what, 16 yards out from, from the end zone. And Ohio State, you know, it, it was a huge play because it didn't allow Wisconsin to have any momentum you know, it, it made Graham Mertz, you know, it started him out of sync for the, right off the bat. And then the rest of the game, he never got in any kind of rhythm thereafter. And, you know, even besides that interception, Dan, Tanner McAllister broke up um, what looked like a, a potential surefire touchdown for the Wisconsin passing game later on in the game um, with a big PBU. Um, a couple of really big hits, too, uh, out of that safety, uh, that nickel spot as well. So uh, definitely possibly the first time. You know, we, we've kind of seen him really pop off of the field when watching a game uh, live for Ohio State. And, you know, that's what Jim Knowles brought him in for, uh, from Oklahoma State for. And, and we're starting to see that that move pay off here. Yeah, I thought that was the play of the game, that pass breakup uh, late in the first half. I mean, personally, uh, my vote would have been for Tanner McAllister being the defensive player of a game just because I think that interception really set the tone on that opening series. I mean, again, I think he saved seven points with that pass breakup late in the second half. Also made uh, some, you know, good good tackles out there as well. So I was really impressed by what we saw from Tanner McAllister against Wisconsin. But also hard to argue if a player of a game choice of Tommy Eichenberg because I, I feel like I finally got one right. We do our last call every week and we do our players to watch. And like the first three weeks, I think it was kind of like the Madden curse I was putting on guys because – like week one, I put Jackson and Jigby, he gets hurt. Week two, I put Jaden Boward, he didn't have a catch. 
week three, I put Denzel Burke. He has another rough game. But this week, uh, Tommy Eichenberg was everything I thought he would be and more. He had 14 tackles, two tackles for loss. I mean, you hit the nail on the head before the season, Griffin, when you said you thought Tommy Eichenberg would be the defensive MVP because I think that's exactly what he's been so far this year. I think he's been one of the best linebackers in the country. Yeah, 14 total tackles, seven solo tackles, two tackles for loss. You said it before the game that like Wisconsin is just the type of team where that just feels like a Tommy Eichenberg type of game, right? Just a, a gritty game from your, your you know run-stopping uh, middle linebacker for Ohio State. It, and it certainly was. Uh, he had five more tackles in this game than he had in any other game this season. He had nine in the season opener. Obviously, there was 17 in the Rose Bowl. So you can start to see these huge games that Eichenberg is starting to, to really stack on top of each other here. It just seems like he just plays so much so much better, has so much more of a, a sense of what he's doing. Uh, he plays faster, all those things in this Jim Knowles defense. And I think that marriage, you know, that, that marriage has been obvious, you know, in terms of how well it's worked since Knowles came in because he's been talking about Tommy Eichenberg ever since. And we've been seeing him play, you know, lights out so far. I was saying it was it was fitting that he was uh, chosen to, to speak at Ohio State's skull session on Saturday, not because of his, you know, vocabulary or, or pr- propensity for, uh, you know, great speeches necessarily, but just because, you know, it seemed like he was primed to have a big game and he had a monster game for Ohio State. He had more than twice as many tackles as the next best Buckeye in that one. And, you know, it, it led to a performance where Ohio State really shut Wisconsin's offense down for almost the entire game. You know, like you said, they gave up that 75-yard touchdown run after they pulled some starters at the end there. So that kind of skews things when you look at some of the, the, the rushing yardage and things like that. But, you know, if you, if you looked at the, the drives and the series that, that mattered in that game, Tommy Eichenberg was making a lot of plays and the Buckeyes are having a lot of success. You said it before, but we don't need to say much about Rutgers. But let's talk about Rutgers for a few minutes because Ohio State is playing Rutgers this week and it's uh, fifth of five straight home games to begin the season. It will be homecoming at Ohio State. It'll be a hundred years of Ohio Stadium celebration this week and uh, appropriate to do that against uh, the team that played in the first ever college football game, uh, that being Rutgers, who uh, is off to a three and one start this season. won all three of its non-conference games against Boston College, Wagner, and Temple, but lost its Big Ten opener this past week uh, to Iowa, 27-10. to 10. And if you're wondering how Iowa put up 27 points, that's because Iowa had two defensive touchdowns. So, uh, you know, you look at the stats for Rutgers, uh, third week in a row that Ohio State is going to face a team that's ranked in the top 10 in total defense, I have a feeling for the third week in a row that Rutgers is going to leave with a defense that's ranked a lot lower than the top 10. Yeah, I think that's that's probably safe to say, Dan, unless, you know, Greg Schiano and company pull out, pull some rabbits out of the hat here. Um, number nine total defense in the country, number two defense against the run, um, number 25 scoring defense, number 35 against the pass, which is also, you know, not, not too shabby at all. But you have to look at the level of competition there for Rutgers because, you know, Boston College, Temple, Wagner, not even being an FBS team, like none of those teams have top flight offenses by any stretch of the imagination. And then Iowa, we've already mentioned on this podcast, has, I, I think, by far like the, the dead last passing offense in the country. I believe the the number or the, the last ranked total offense in the country. I mean, this is a, a team that put up 
who do they score? They seven points against South Dakota State in the season opener, Dan. And, you know, like you said, they needed some defensive touchdowns um, to, to bolster that final points total against Rutgers. But I just think that some of those defensive rankings, like we've talked about with previous opponents for Ohio State, is a little bit of smoke and mirrors. And then when you look on the other side of the ball, Dan, things are, are really not so good for the Scarlet Knights. Yeah, first of all, not only has Rutgers not faced a top flight offense, Rutgers has not even faced a top 120 FBF FBS offense in terms of total offense. So this is going to be a whole different kind of challenge. That's not to say that I don't think Rutgers has a good defense, but I don't think they have a better defense than Wisconsin. And so, uh, you know, do do I think that, you know, this is going to be some huge uptick in test for Ohio State's offense? Uh, Probably not. Uh, And then, like you said, on the other side of a ball, offensively, uh, you know, Rutgers, they've had some injuries at quarterback. Uh, Noah Vedrill, Gavin Wimsott, both dealing with injuries. So Evan Simon, who was going to be the third string quarterback going into the season, he's been playing. Um, yeah, not a whole lot going well on that side of the ball. As you mentioned, uh, they have they have not scored more than 22 points against an FBS opponent this year. And so, uh, you, you know, I, I don't want to dis... I don't want to discredit Rutgers completely because, uh, you know, I do think this is a program that has made some positive strides under Greg Schiano. Uh, you know, Ryan Day said Tuesday, you know, they're better than they were. So I, don't, I, I think, you know, this is a better Rutgers team than the, the Rutgers that Ohio State was facing, you know, a few few years ago, uh, you know, before Greg Schiano returned there. But I don't see this week being the week that, Rutgers finally plays a close game against Ohio State. I mean, like, to me, I think the only way that happens is if Ohio State beats itself. If Ohio State doesn't stay as locked in, if Ohio State doesn't keep playing at the high level we've seen the last couple weeks. I think if Ohio State continues to play the way it's been playing, uh, I think it's very likely that this is going to be another lopsided win in favor of a home team. And 0-8 for Rutgers against Ohio State since they joined the Big Ten in 2014. And the closest matchup of those eight was the the last time Rutgers was in Columbus, that that 49-27 um, loss for the Scarlet Knights, which I, I think that one was was a bit disappointing for the Buckeyes because you know some people were predicting just absolutely absurd you know, numbers, predictions for, for that final score um, allowed Rutgers to score a, a few more points, I think, than than the Buckeyes would have liked. And but, but but part of that was Rutgers was really you know, emptying their bag of tricks in that game, Dan, which has kind of, you know, been a, been a running theme with fans kind of wondering, you know, well, what is Rutgers going to try in this game this time? And, and that's what, what Daniel actually asked us here. What's the over-under on the number of trick plays you think Shiano and company are going to try to pull out against the Buckeyes? Because, Dan, what do they have to lose, you know? It's got to be at least two and a half, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I think two, three. Sir, I mean, I mean, you know, you're playing with house money at that point if you're Greg Shiano. If, if Rutgers manages... To, you know, what are they at this point? They, I know they opened as a, a 39 point underdog. Last I saw it was 40. 40 point underdog in this one. I mean, why leave any stone unturned, to be honest, if you're Rutgers? I mean, what's what's the difference between a, you know, a 70, a, a 70 to nothing loss versus, you know, something that's, you know, a little bit closer or, or further away? I mean, they, they have nothing to lose in this one. Then I'm certainly not going to sit here and pick Rutgers to upset the Buckeyes, but I don't know if you, you know, what, what, what's been in your coffee today that you might be, you might be thinking something else. 
I've got Ohio State winning 59 to 14. I made the mistake of being too conservative the last two weeks. So I don't want to do that again. So 59 14 is my prediction. I've got it 66 to 14, Ohio State. So scoring one more touchdown than you. You know, like yourself, a, a couple of these weeks here have been like, okay, I'm not going to just pick an absolutely astronomical number here for the Ohio State offense because it started a little bit slow at the start of the year. At this point, though, I think the Buckeyes are really firing on all cylinders offensively. I'm not letting those defensive rankings for the Scarlet Knights fool me at all. I think they're going to drop, you know, significantly in, in all those categories after Ohio State rolls Rutgers once again to go 9-0 and against the Scarlet Knights. So that's we're, basically now we're telling people to take Rutgers in the points, right? Because it seems like whenever whenever we think it's going to be a blowout, then it, it's a little closer than we think, and we think it's going to be more competitive, it's a blowout. But uh, we are both picking Ohio State to cover the spread uh, this week against what we think will be a very overmatched Rutgers team. Ohio State still ranked third in the country after uh, – its latest dominant performance. Should the Buckeyes be ranked higher? Uh, I mean, I, I don't think they could be higher than than two. You know, I, 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 I'm fine with Ohio State at three. I, I think I said that again your, your before last week as well. It's just like, I just, Georgia being the, the, the defending champion and Alabama being Alabama, and I know you have to, to do things as the, the, the year's results, you know, reflect. But at the same time, you know, I just can't. I, I wouldn't put Ohio State necessarily above those two programs right this second. Yeah, if it was me, I, w- I would rank Ohio State second right now. Just just going off resumes. I mean, I think you know Georgia had that dominant performance against Oregon in the first game of a season. Uh, you know, they, they they did not have a great game against Kent State this past week, but uh, they they've you know really controlled all their games four games in, and so I, I would put Georgia at number one. But I would put Ohio State number two just just based on resumes because, I mean, to me, I just look at what Ohio State did against Wisconsin this past weekend and say that's more impressive than anything Alabama's done because the only good team that Alabama has played has been Texas, and they needed a last-minute touchdown to beat Texas. They they dominated their free games, but it is Vanderbilt and uh, Utah State and Louisiana Monroe. And so now if, if Alabama goes out and dominates Arkansas this weekend, then maybe my opinion will be different a week from now. But for right now, I would say it should be Georgia, Ohio State, and then Alabama. Not that any of that really matters because I think it to me it's pretty clear right now, at least it feels like there's a pretty big gap between the top three and everyone else. You look at the teams that were four through seven in the rankings last week, Michigan struggled a bit against Maryland. Clemson needed two overtimes to beat Wake Forest. USC, they were in a four-quarter battle with Oregon State. And then Oklahoma lost to Kansas State. And so it feels to me like there's a pretty clear gap between those top three and, and and everyone else right now. But if you had to pick right now one month into the season, who would you pick as your four CFP teams? I mean, like you said, the, the the first three, I think, go as they're ranked right now. Oh, man, I, I think, you know, I, I think at this point I, I might I might just go ahead and sneak Clemson in there. I think it's it's probably between Clemson and USC for me. They both had some some troubling performances. USC, obviously, uh, just beating Oregon State by three points. That that high powered offense, you know, not having its its uh, best outing there with a 17 point game against Oregon State. Um 
yeah, I think like I think maybe Clemson Clemson ends up getting back in the conversation. I never was all that confident in Oklahoma to begin with. Michigan, I just think you know if if Michigan ends up losing to Ohio State, you know could could they possibly stumble somewhere else along the way? Could they possibly lose to Ohio State still get in? Those are certainly all you know possibilities there. But I think I think. I'm going to go with Clemson at the moment. Yeah, I'm going to go with USC. I, I think, uh, you know, you're right, not the best offensive performance against Oregon State, but I think Oregon State's a solid team. I think, you know, I think when USC, that offense is clicking, you know, to me, they're the team that I look at as having the most potential outside of those top three, you know, to really compete for a championship this year with Caleb Williams and and Jordan Addison so you know I don't you know uh, I mean I think like I I almost feel like you know there's a chance USC maybe has slightly more margin for error than Clemson just because I think you know maybe the Pac-12 is a little bit stronger than the ACC this year so I think that's part of the question is like okay let's say if they both finish as one lost teams who would get in? That's a hard thing to say. But if I have to pick right now, I'm going to go USC just because I, I I like what we've seen from them. I mean, I, I, I've been known to mock uh, Alex Grinch and his, his annual raises, but he's done a good job with that defense so far. USC's been playing really good defense so far. And I think, you know, I think the ceiling of that offense to me, you know, after Ohio State and Alabama, I, I I put USC right there in terms of a ceiling of what that offense can be, because you know I think they've got a, a top three quarterback in Caleb Williams, and you know with with Jackson and Jigba being hurt right now, probably the best receiver in the country in Jordan Addison. Yeah, I mean we were all we we all thought the USC offense was going to be you know ridiculous with Lincoln Riley coming over and everything like that. We were all told that the, the defense would be a, a big work in progress, but it hasn't been you know bad enough to 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 cost the the Trojans a game so far and I did pick USC at the beginning of the season to be in that uh, four team group right there as well but Dan how about back in the Big 10 where you know a, a a contender in the West Division a front runner in the West Division has has certainly emerged here in recent weeks Minnesota now having blown out Michigan State 34 to 7 the Gophers are 4 and 0 they they have I think the number 3 their top 3 in in several uh, major categories like number two in total offense, number two or three in, in total defense, something like that, scoring offense up there as well. Um, some some really impressive numbers for Minnesota and wins now when you look at what they just did to Michigan State. Dan, is that the favorite uh, you know, to, to meet Ohio State in, in Indianapolis right now in the Big Ten Championship game? I think right now, absolutely. I mean, we, I mean, obviously, from what we've seen from Wisconsin, they're two and two this season. Uh, they do not look that strong right now. You know, Iowa has the best defense, but they have the worst offense. And so I just don't think Iowa has enough offense to win the Big Ten West. So when I, when I look at the West, I think Minnesota – uh, at least on paper right now, looks like the most complete team. You know, they hadn't really played anybody until this past week, but, you know, they dominated Michigan State. Now, on the other side of that coin, is Michigan State this year's Indiana? And I say that partially as criticism of myself because last year I like I totally bought the Indiana hype like they were coming off this great year and I'm like yeah Indiana's like they're a sneaky contender they could upset Ohio State like that was my game that I circled on the calendar as like this is the upset alert game for Ohio State and then Indiana 
ends up being awful. Michigan State ends up exceeding all expectations last year with Mel Tucker. And once again, I'm drinking with Kool-Aid. I'm going into this year like, yeah, Michigan State's a contender. Like, watch out for them. I'm circling that game against Michigan State. Is uh, Man, this, is, this might be the most dangerous game for Ohio State. Upset alert. And we'll talk more about that game next week. But... Man, Michigan State is certainly not looking too good from what we've seen from the last uh, couple of weeks. I, I don't know if Mel Tucker called himself a horseshit coach again this weekend, <laughs> but uh, it was pretty. It was a pretty horseshit performance, I would say, <laughs> uh, losing thirty-four to seven against Minnesota. And, and so far, uh, I think you'd have to say the Sartans are certainly looking like the biggest disappointment in the Big Ten. Yeah, I referenced that soundbite last week on the podcast. I had to reference it again in the the stock report piece that I do for 11 Warriors this week just because it's one of my favorite things, I guess. But uh, yeah, like, I mean, it it seemed a a bit harsh for for Mel Tucker to, you know, come out and and say those things about himself after that upset loss to Washington. But now, you know, I don't think a lot of Spartan fans are are running to kind of counter that notion about him being a horseshit football coach after, you know, having that, that, that big loss to Minnesota at home, no less. And so, yeah, Michigan state, suddenly that the threat meter on Michigan state, as far as Ohio state's concerned is certainly, you know, taking a dip, but you know, still, still plenty of time, to kind of turn things around there for the Spartans. But Dan, you know, we were talking about our CFP picks uh, a few minutes ago, and I'm, I'm almost surprised that you don't have the Jayhawks in there because the way you're talking about Kansas this season, I mean, it almost seems like you're, you're uh, you know, hoping for a Cinderella run to the top of the polls. Yeah, I can't go that far. Um, I cannot go that far right now. But I will say that I, I think it's a travesty that Kansas is not ranked in the top 25 right now. Because if you look at their resume, I mean, I think I saw, I think it was Tom Fornelli made the point of if if Kansas was a SCC team, they, they might be ranked in the top 10 right now. And I mean, you, you could make that case based on what they've done. I mean, they've they already have two power five wins of wins over West Virginia and Duke, as well as a, a, a pretty good group of five win over Houston. So uh, interesting game for them this weekend coming up against Iowa State. I'll be interested to see how that one goes. But if they win that one, then they really better be be ranked because, I mean, if you're just going off of resumes, uh, Kansas is a top 25 team right now. And I, and I think they're legit. Like, I, I, I think, I mean, do I think Kansas is going to make the college ball playoff? No, but I, I think... You know, I don't think this is just like a flash in a pan, like they've lucked their way into four and oh, like uh, Jalen Daniels has been excellent, their, their quarterback. And like, I think this is a, a a team that's really figured something out and is in line for uh, its best season in a long time. So uh, tougher competition to come for them, for sure. But it's going to be fun to see uh, how well they can navigate that and what kind of season they can put together. And Dan, just when we get swept up into the thick of the college football season, the Big Ten play starting and everything like that for Ohio State, we get a reminder that, you know, don't forget about the Ohio State basketball program and the upcoming, you know, college basketball season as a whole, because on Monday we started the week with uh, Ohio State basketball media day. We got to talk to every member of the 2022-2023 Ohio State roster. We had a about a 30-minute a press conference with Chris Holtman as well. And Dan, for me, I think the most interesting kind of thing to come out of that, having previously talked to a lot of the freshman guys um, and some other players at the Kingdom League over the summer, um, w- was getting to talk to Justice Suing and hear- hearing what Chris Holtman had to say about Justice Suing because we hadn't heard anything about that situation since Suing received full medical clearance at the end of August. Obviously, he played um, only two games last season as he was dealing with that hernia issue 
stemming from the end of the previous season. And so I think, you know, this team, I think, you know, is going to go perhaps where Justice Suing and, and maybe a couple of, of standout freshman guys can, can kind of take it this season um, in terms of its ceiling. I don't think it'll reach its ceiling, I should say, if Justice Suing isn't, you know, a, a key part of the action for the Buckeyes. He says he's 110% healthy for Ohio State. He says he feels better than he's ever felt before. Um, you know, Chris Holtman says that that Suing is, you know, anxious to return, which obviously makes sense. He missed what was supposed to be, you know, the best season of his career last year, aside from those two games, as we mentioned. Um, and teammates, I asked a bunch of teammates about Suing as well. They said he hasn't skipped a beat. They said that he's uh, killing us in practice is what Felix Akpara said about Justice Suing, um, you know, which is which is what you would expect his teammates to say, Dan. But at the same time, it is good to hear that, you know, he hasn't had any further setbacks or anything like that and that he certainly seems to be confident going into the season. Yeah, I mean, he's certainly an important player for Ohio State with, you know, them being, you know, so young and, you know, so many new faces. I mean, they have really only two guys coming back that played last year and Zed Key and Eugene Brown. So certainly a guy like Justice Suing, who's been around the program for a few years, who's an experienced player, uh, you know, was a pretty good player for him a couple years ago uh, and somebody they were counting on last year. Uh, certainly to have him healthy and and uh, playing a big role this year uh, is something that uh, they're counting on. Yeah, he actually said it. I, I like to hear him say this too. He said, you know, my game, I feel like it's probably one of the best in the country. So I was like, damn, just assuming like that. I, let, let's see him back it up now, you know, on the court. Uh, you know, that was a big quote from him. I, I thought also one of the more interesting things from hearing from Chris Holman was that he said, you know, you guys are going to see four pre- freshmen playing significant, you know, roles on this team on a, on a game to game basis, which I think, you know, a lot of people kind of already thought that that was probably going to be the case, you know, given all the turnover on the roster and given the, rankings and kind of recruiting profile that a lot of those guys have in that five-man class, you know, six if you include uh, Colby Bauman from IMG Academy coming in as a a walk-on freshman as well for the Buckeyes. But Dan, it's not really a mystery who you know, the fifth guy is that wasn't included in the in the four freshman talk for Chris Holtman. Yeah, it doesn't sound likely that Bowen Hardman will play much this year, but uh, does sound likely that Bryce Sensabaugh, Roddy Gale, Bruce Thornton and Felix Akpara will all have uh, significant roles for Ohio State this season. So, you know, as you mentioned, I mean, a lot of new guys are going to be relying on, you know, those four freshmen, uh, free transfers and Tanner Holden, Isaac Likely, Sean McNeil. Uh, It's going to be a very new look team out there for Ohio State this season. And, and, you know, to me, it's it's really difficult to set any expectations for this team right now because there's just so many unknowns. We haven't seen this group of players play together at all. So it's really hard to have any kind of, you know, concrete expectations for what the team could be this year. But I do think it's an an intriguing roster. And one thing I was asking a lot of guys about, and, you know, I'm going to kind of explore before the season is just, is, is this roster maybe made up in a way that better equips Ohio State to win in March because, you know, fan, you know, fans, there's always the undercurrent of, oh, why don't we have a true center and, and, and stuff like that. And, you know, because of, you know, guys like Zach Eady and other big men in the Big Ten. But, you know, I think you just look at what's happened in the NCAA tournament in recent years. It's been a lot of small ball. It's been the teams that are, you, you know, more versatile, more athletic a lot of times have been the teams that have had more success in March. And I think that's the way 
this roster is built, where may, maybe it's going to give up a little bit in times in terms of that 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 size and 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 post game in the Big Ten. But there's a lot of guys that kind of have this ability to guard multiple positions and and be versatile players and. I think that's going to allow Ohio State to be able to play different styles between, you know, if they're playing a Big Ten team, a, a bigger physical Big Ten team, or if they're playing a mid-major team in the NCAA tournament that's that's smaller and they really need to be able to guard well on the guard well on the perimeter and, and have better athletes out there. So I think there's a lot of different possible com- lineup combinations that this team is going to be able to deploy. It's hard to predict right now, like what the core lineup's going to be, just because there's so many unknowns, so many new faces. But I think, I think this team is certainly going to have some challenges to work through. There's certainly going to be, um, you know, some growing pains for this team with how uh, new everybody is. But I feel like the pieces are there where. You know, maybe this is a team that can peak a little later in the season and and maybe be a little bit more equipped to perform well in, in the postseason just based on the kind of roster makeup that they have. Yeah, Dan, you asked uh, Chris Holman about that, and he said it's going to be more four guards around one true big uh, type of style of play this year, which he said – you know, in, in years past with EJ Liddell basically being Ohio State's best player and being a, a true power forward, you know, he wasn't necessarily a guy that you could play as like a, a true center and have four guards around. And then, you know, he, he he also just even in that last year there, they tried to make him more of a more of a three, more of a perimeter style to his game. But he's just not quite a, th- a true three at that at that college level in the way that like a Justice Suing or maybe like a Eugene Brown would be in terms of their mobility and things of that nature. Um, but, you know, Garrick had a fun question to ask the, the basketball team, Dan, because, you know, th- that was a storyline out of Big Ten Media Day for the football team was uh, C.J. Stroud kind of calling his shot and saying that the football team, which, you know, does possess a lot of good basketball players, um, could actually, you know, give the Ohio State basketball team a run for its money on the hardwood. So that question was just begging to be asked, right, Dan, at Ohio State Media Day, um, you know, how the Ohio State players think they would fare against the football team in a basketball game. And Garrick also asked, uh, you know, the, the Buckeyes, which player would be toughest to guard and which player they would want on their team. C.J. Stroud and Dewan Jones got, I think, most of the votes in that regard. Uh, Cade Stover got some mentions as well. Uh, Dewan Jones and, and Stover being, you know, standout uh, basketball players. Dewan Jones obviously just being massive in general. C.J. Stroud's passing ability and leadership getting some nods as well. Um, anything else interesting come out of that conversation, Dan, that, that you particularly liked? Yeah, I mean, definitely read the story on 11warriors.com. Garrick did a great job with that, uh, getting... Uh, thoughts from every member of the team about uh, what that uh, basketball game against a football team would be like. I mean, I thought, you know, some of the responses were funny. Like I think Felix Akpara uh, said that they would score 20 something points. So uh, not, they're not expecting uh, a whole lot of offensive fret from a football team. I, I, I did. I think it was Kalen Etzler who, who might've talked about going you know, against Dewan Jones or the offensive lineman and thinking, I, I don't want to, you know, I think he's like, uh, feeling the horror of, of thinking of him having uh, to try to hold his ground as Dewan Jones tries to back him down in the post. So uh, definitely read that story. It was a lot of fun. Uh, Garrick did a great job with it. Some, somebody made a point in the comments too. That's it's interesting is uh, does this include uh, LeBron James joining the football team? Cause there was a little bit of uh, Twitter fun over the weekend where LeBron asked if, 
uh, he had eligibility to play in another sport, which uh, presumably was was while he was watching the Ohio State football game, since we know he's an Ohio State fan. And uh, Gene Smith and, and Brian Hartline kindly took to Twitter to uh, let him know that he could potentially have eligibility and they would be willing to work with him. Of course, that would be a recruiting violation if uh, anybody was serious about this. Uh, <laughs> but that would certainly change the calculus of a, uh, you know, I, I think we agree with the players that the Ohio State basketball team would likely win uh, soundly in a uh, basketball game between the two teams. I do hope that they can work something out like next summer, like, you know, some kind of charity basketball to game between basketball and football players. You know, they're obviously never going to do it during the season because of the injury risk, but uh, it would be a fun thing to do in uh, the, the off season if, if, if they can ever make it happen. But yeah, uh, I, I think uh, the basketball team would win soundly uh, unless the football team gets to have LeBron James, then it would be a much closer game. Yeah, Dan, much like uh, when LeBron used to say every year that he was going to participate in the dunk contest while it was happening, uh, I think he got a little of that same uh, excitement watching the Buckeyes play football and thought, hey, uh, maybe I should float this idea out. But similarly to the dunk contest, I don't think we're actually going to see that happen. But hey, listen, you know, LeBron said he wants to play in the NBA with his son, Bronny, you know, all uh, at the same time. Maybe they do a spin on that. LeBron, you know, comes plays football for Ohio State while Bronny lands at Ohio State in the basketball program, Dan. It could all, you know, it could all come to fruition. And also, you know, uh, the Tooth Fairy could exist and Santa Claus and everything <laughs> like that as well. All right. One final question that we got here uh, that I thought was a lot of fun. It, it, Orca actually posted as not a question, but a challenge. Roll a random number, zero through 99, and give a compliment to the player with that number. So we're each going to do this. Do you want me to go first or you want to go first? You can have at it, Dan. You can All go right. ahead and set the So tone. I have this random number generator. I'm going to click on it and it's going to give me a number. And I've got I've to give a compliment to a football player with that number. So let's see. We have got 21. So let's see. Let me check the roster. I think, I, is Evan, I think Evan, one of them is Evan Pryor. Uh, I'm trying to remember. Pallier and Yeah, so let's go with Pallier and because, unfortunately, Evan Pryor's injured. We haven't been able to see him play. Pallier and has been uh, maybe Ohio State's best special teams player so far this season. He was special teams player of the week after each of the first two games and has uh, done really well in that role. So, you know, we haven't seen him play. Although I didn't. I believe he had a fumble recovery in the Toledo game, if I remember correctly, uh, his first game playing on defense. And so uh, he did play well in that role. You know, he, you know, certainly I think he's a guy who uh, probably envisioned a bigger role for himself on defense when he transferred to Ohio State a year ago, but is making the most of a role he has on special teams. You know, I don't know how much we're ever going to really see him play on defense, but he's embraced the role that they're asking him to play on special teams and uh, is doing a really good job of it. And so I know that's something that has earned him a lot of respect uh, inside the Woody Hayes Athletic Center. Yeah, and you were, you were correct about that fumble recovery, by the way. He's now had one in each of the last two seasons for the Buckeyes. However, you know, not a ton of defensive snaps like I think a lot of fans might have thought when they saw that a you know, former five-star recruit was coming to Ohio State from USC. But Dan, spin spin those dice again, baby. Spin those dice again. Let's see, you know, who, who comes up for me to give a compliment to here. All right. You got number one, which of course, Court. there's no number one on the roster, but Court Williams has been wearing number one 
so far of his season to avoid wearing the same number as a Mecca Buka on special teams. So Court Williams is your player. Yeah, you know, what, what can I say about Court Williams? You know, I've, I've been thinking about like, you know, I don't know if it'll be halfway through the season or after the season, like a, a biggest surprises for, from the Ohio State season type of thing and, and just making a list of some of those. One of those has been the fact that Court Williams has had such a small role on defense for Ohio State thus far because you go back to the spring, it seemed like he might have been the first string bandit safety for the Buckeyes. But then obviously Josh Proctor came on strong. We've since seen Lathan Ransom recover from injury and play really well for the Buckeyes, despite the fact that he did not play against Wisconsin. You know, I'll say, you know, I, I think it's it's awesome that, that Court Williams is, was elected a captain for this team, but, you know, doesn't really have a huge role for the team that would indicate that, you know, he's a, a great leader in the locker room. We've obviously heard so much about his work ethic and leadership and everything like that from the coaching staff. Um, those are certainly traits that I can admire about Core Williams, despite the fact that we haven't seen him a whole lot on the field so far this season. We might have to do that again. That's a fun, yeah. fun little exercise to give a couple extra players some love. So uh, good, good challenge there, Orca. Uh, definitely uh, enjoyed that one. And that is how we're going to wrap up this edition of Real Pod Wednesdays. Uh, we'll be back next week to recap Ohio State's fifth game of the season against Rutgers and everything else that we may learn from what's sure to be another interesting week of college football and look ahead uh, next week to Ohio State's first road test of the year against Michigan State, which we just learned this week will be a 4 p.m. game in East Lansing. So, uh, looking forward to that, and we'll talk to you next week.